Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 488, How Meaningful Connection Boosts Wellbeing. So today we're going to be talking about how meaningful connection boosts wellbeing and leads to high-performing organizations. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Alex Osborne, who's founder and CEO of Shugal. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Lovely. So start by telling us a bit about who you are, uh, what you do, and, and uh, even more importantly, who, who Shugal are, what Shugal does. Well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a co-director of a consultancy um, which we've been going for, I think, about 15, 16 years. Uh, and we've learned an awful lot about uh, well-being and engagement um, in teams, individuals, and, what, and organizations. Uh, and, that's, and that's recently led to the development of a well-being engagement platform, which we're calling Google. Lovely. So tell me a bit about um, where you've come from, what experience you've got around the whole question about high-performing teams and organizations. Yeah, so I think about 13, 14 years ago now, um, I, I, had, I was very fortunate enough to get into the technology space um, and landed in um, a company called Total Jobs Group. That was an e-commerce business that had been um, using sort of agile frameworks and processes for a long time before I arrived. Um, and it was very different to my previous experience in work where I'd been working in construction companies uh, and sometimes in, in, interacting with tech, but not quite in tech. And um, I started to notice that they had some fundamental differences in the way that they worked. Um, and it was by and large facilitation over sort of your traditional project management approaches. Um, and as soon as I got introduced to this sort of difference, I started to realize that the knowledge workers inside these organizations didn't necessarily require any kind of management at all. They were highly intelligent, very sophisticated human beings that they just essentially they just required a very loose process in order to actually get things done. And for me, this was sort of groundbreaking, essentially. And I'd learned yeah. an awful lot about in my MSc in project management, a lot of theoretical foundations about complex adaptive systems, complexity theory, project management theory, but I hadn't seen it in practice. And... Um, I think it changed me forever. Uh, yeah. So, so what what did you then sort of do with it? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so essentially, yeah. like, um, in, I mean, there's there's a lot of content here, and I know I'm skipping over some stuff, I guess, because um, of time constraints. But, um. So using Agile, you know, Scrum, Kanban, all the rest of it, and facilitation as a means of, um, uh, of deriving good outcomes, when you combine that with things like, you know, psychological safety, when you combine that with, um, 
you know, um, collaborate, you know, good communication and collaboration, you start to see that there are there are there are many different ways that you can actually achieve goals over the traditional set, the traditional ways of working, and they tend to derive much better outcomes. And there's a real big focus on human beings, um, and they have things like reflective practice. And reflective practice, in my humble opinion, is one of the best ways that you can um, derive tacit knowledge, and and then and then you can leverage that and then reintroduce it back using a lot of continuous improvement approaches. But um, I started to realize that there, were, there, were, there was a much better knowledge base on how you can achieve good outcomes when you're not constrained by uh, a methodology. And um, for me, over the 13-year period, I was able to transform two organizations, essentially, using all the things I picked up in the agile space, um, in Accardo Technology and Investive Bank, which essentially enabled me to focus on the individuals and on the products and the technology. And by focusing on the individuals and the teams and the wider business, I could essentially create the conditions and the environment for success so that they got the products and services for free. Mm. Mm. Um, and I started to get quite good at it at scale. So I started to realize if I could actually do one-to-one coaching with you and then with the team and then with the department and then with the senior stakeholders in the business, I could create systemic change. I could essentially turn the Titanic in a different direction <laughs> if that were required. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I'm just interested in the, the piece about, as you say, the sort of Kanban and the um, um, the sort of speed of, of, of doing things, the agile way of working and so on, um, and where that came from. Because, you know, organisations over the years have sort of spent ages trying to Sort of work out the best way of managing people and leading people to get the best performance out of them and everything else but in the tech space i don't suppose that was where they started they probably started with needing a, a product and quick development and and all that sort of thing but you know sort of almost by accident found management practices to do that I and mean, it wasn't by accident because obviously that was what they were trying to do but you know why did they crack it when it hadn't happened before in traditional organizations well, I think some of it goes back to the 1990s. I mean, if you do your research in uh, technology, you'll start to notice in the 1990s, they, they call it the software crisis, where you had really, 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 really big infrastructure projects. Um, uh, one example might be an airport or something like that. And you'll see that there, many, many large organizations were hemorrhaging, you know, trillions of dollars, essentially. A lot of the, a lot of the, the case studies and stuff you'd read would be in the U.S., and they started to realize that the, the ways of working uh, and the processes and the tools and techniques that were being used were not deriving the stated outcomes or the desired outcomes that people really wanted. And so it took some very talented, very experienced human beings to come up with things like, you know, the Agile Manifesto. Um, you know, people who are aeronautical engineers, mechanical engineers, software engineers, um, and, you know, they basically steeped all of that wisdom inside something quite simplistic, which you can you can critique and you could say, well, it's not complete, but it's not designed to be complete. But some of the stuff that came out of the 90s certainly became the catalyst or the, yeah, the catalyst for um, looking for seeking out um, ways of getting the, you know, the outcomes. Because the current the current situation was not ha- happening for everybody, so for me that was a really critical moment in time. 
and mm. um, it enabled a whole bunch of new theories, tools, techniques, theory, you know, to come out. Um, and sort of the agile stuff, for me anyway, certainly, is is more empirical in nature. You know, if you look at psychology, they'll say things like um, traditional project management is based on rationalism. You know, this thing where you can have an idea, you can formulate that idea, you know, you create a, create a plan around that idea that you've got, and then you'll, you'll try and basically bend reality to your plan and your will and your idea, where um, the agile space is more inductive or abductive, mm-hmm. where you're basically learning bottom up about what's going on in your communities, in your teams, with your product, with your service, and then you use that raw data to basically, you know, using, using the scientific method to create hypotheses for change and involve these experiments, and, experiments out and then iterating. It's a fundamentally mm-hmm. different mindset, mm-hmm. um, which has definitely generated good outcomes in places, but there are still people who would prefer to go back or never left sort of the traditional mm-hmm. mindset. But yeah. I've been very successful in my own career because these, um, um, these frameworks and these methods exist in, com- in combination with um, highly engaged working environments, which, you know, whether that's um, making work play or, um, you know, focusing on the individual or focusing on psychological safety or good facilitation in workshops and so on. But the combination of those two things, I've been, I've been very fortunate enough to be, have been managed to create really cool and um, attractive environments for employees. Mm-hmm. So tell me a bit more how you work. Um, you, you talked about how what you do when you're working with teams and individuals um, works so much better with, with this in mind. So what does it look like? Yeah, so like we talk about employee engagement a lot. And, you know, I mean, I know sometimes there's some confusion around engagement, like is a metric, engagement is the goal. But if we look at, if we just think about engagement for one moment, for me, if you walk, and I know we're in a hybrid world and we have a working from home uh, sort of world now, but in the old days, pre the pandemic, the way that I would look at engagement and whether teams are really enjoying themselves and there's the intrinsic motivation is I would just literally walk into the space, the physical space, and you can hear it, you can see it. People are laughing, they're joking around, um, they're huddled together, they're trying to solve problems, even actual you know, um, conflict, but in a positive way. Uh, you know, they've got to that um, stage in their relationships where they can actually have disagreement uh, and it's all constructive. And I, I can see that as I walk through any office that I've been to. And um, this is a really good indicator, how they treat each other, how they conduct themselves with each other. Um, and that, that's a positive, for me, that, that's a one quick indicator. You don't get that for free. So that's the other thing. Um, it, it requires an awful lot of continuous work in order to create that environment and then maintain it and it means that somebody or some people like myself have to work at one-to-one and the team and a department and at the senior level all at the same time consist- consistently because it's extremely fragile mm. um, and exhausting. <laughs> but it's very, very worthwhile. And when it works, it's beautiful. Yeah. 
And how does that translate now with hybrid? You mentioned that sort of at the beginning, and you said, you know, you can see when you walk into any office when, when it's working well. Um, you know, we've added this extra challenge of not having that office. <laughs> how does yeah. that work then? Well, this is really this is a really important point because um, at the very start of the pandemic, as we know, everyone was kind of pushed out into their homes, right? And um, everyone was working from home. And we started to see some signals that graduates and new employees in particular really struggled. So they weren't integrated into the team. So that was a problem. So mm-hmm. we had graduates who were actually in a house share situation. And, um, you know, they were quite distracted quite quickly and they had all sorts of things going on in the, in, in the home place. And the, mm. in that hybrid or working from home situation, sorry, was really, really quite complicated for us to overcome. How do we keep everyone connected? Mm. But we overshot where we ended up trying to keep everyone connected so much that I think we overcommunicated and overconnected and we created social burnout. Mm. Mm. And that was a huge problem because... We had people on calls where at the end of, say, six hours of meetings, you'd say, oh, do you know, do you fancy a catch up? And actually what we realized is they were rejecting connection, even though it was meaningful connection. Because it was yet another call. Another form of connection. Mm. Mm. And this was a problem for us because we started to realize that we're doing all the work stuff and, you know, the productivity can, um, Productivity communication was really, really good, but actually under the iceberg stuff, the catch-ups, the water cooler moments and so on, weren't there. Yeah. And um, I, this is when I started to become really quite worried that in the, the post-pandemic era, and there was always going to be a post-pandemic era, I suppose, mm-hmm. was how we keep people meaningfully connected that transcends work because I'm also a professional coach and I've been in leadership teams and I've done executive coaching and that one-to-one is really, really quite important. But most people, or not most people, in my experience, in teams, people are rejecting it because it's just too much for them now. It's like, I just, I just don't want any more Zoom calls. I don't want any more Teams calls. And so they are isolated potentially and struggling, but we don't know about it because you can't mm. see them walking in the kitchen, you know, mm. with their face, you know, their body, their posture hunched over. Um, yeah. And, yeah, do you know what I mean? You can't see it physically. Yes, yeah. And I think you have that thing you, you talked about, you know, the, the graduates and the people new into the work environment sort of finding it harder. I mean, I'm, I'm currently working with an organisation where the sort of more junior employees tend to be in the office more because we ask them to be but also because they want to be and they want to be socializing and and in London and all that sort of stuff and the more senior people tend to be there less often and um, you do have to work harder you know in that case but also I think it's really easy to to lose people to forget people Mm -hmm. you know if if people aren't vocal or there's no issue or they're just getting on getting on with their work head down getting on with their work you know people can slip through that that quite easily I mean I've talked to um, the managers about you know even putting notes in their diary on their to-do list to actually contact their uh, you know managees on a regular basis sort of mm-hmm. to remind them to do it because actually when we're all working hard sometimes you can go a few days and think oh I haven't spoken to so and so whereas when you're in the office you physically do 
anyway. So uh, there's all sorts of other challenges. And not to mention going back to the sort of pandemic bit of it, as James Court-Smith, one of our board members, talks about, you know, we were working uh, from home in a crisis. So it was a totally different scenario to now as well. Um, You know, both positive and negative, I guess, in terms of connection and working with each other. So so what can we do about it? So let's talk particularly about hybrid. What can we do about it to make sure that uh, people are connecting and working well and performing? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the first thing is, I think if, you, if, if we help, um, if everyone has a bit of focus on meaningful connection and well-being, we know that that can potentially keep employees in the proactive prevention zone, right? across multiple dimensions, not just by mm-hmm. focusing on um, connection. But we do understand from our qualitative data and our research that if you focus, we're highly motivated by connection. And I think we shouldn't underestimate, or sometimes I think we do take it for granted, of how important and critical connection is to our well-being. So that's one, that's one part. And then the other parts that you all the, the other parts of the, your well-being and organizations can help facilitate that through connection, you see. And so mm-hmm. I think we need some kind of forums or we need some kind of way of bringing people together that's not about the day-to-day. About, mm-hmm. And I mean under the iceberg stuff, but not in a way that feels like you're having, having a deeper meaningful, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you can't do that at scale, right? It's yeah. really challenging. So even if you manage to create an environment in a hybrid world that people are happy to surface up things, what we've discovered is if you're avoiding more meetings and Slack, for example, and Teams is about productivity, we have an air gap. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been attempting to do in my own way is to try and figure out how we can bridge that gap because it's actually twofold. The, the other concern is of all the money that corporations are spending on well-being, on verticals, as I call them, individual solutions for well-being, mental health, and so on and so on and so on. If all of our qualitative research, of which it took me about four and a half months, five months worth of work, we discovered that largely those products and services are not being consumed by employees. And right. the, the main reason behind that, as far as we could establish was because we have very unique problems. And even if they might sound similar, it's, we're not the same. We don't have the same background. We don't see the world the same way. We don't articulate the same way. We don't have the same language and so on. But if we can actually work at that deep level, then sometimes the solution can be self-evident. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, in one of the interviews, a chap had basically um, not gone out for a year because of COVID. He used to be really fit and healthy, um, and um, he had put on weight, and by his own admission, he was now depressed. Mm-hmm. Now, no one was in his business. No one was aware that he was depressed. So I did a bit of coaching with him on the call and tried to dig into, okay, so what is the actual cause behind this depression? And it's a big, a big conversation, but essentially it was because of the cause was COVID, and he was afraid. So then it was like, well, how, what can we do to actually get you out of the house? even for 10 minutes. And then eventually we managed to find that walking with his niece for 10 minutes a day was actually something that he would really desire and want to do. And hopefully by the end of the call, he actually done that. Mm-hmm. 
doing this at scale is absolutely critical to get people to actually open up about what the, the cause is. So then we can actually potentially help them with the solution. But at a scale play, an organization of 6,000 people, how would you go about doing that without having deeper meaningfuls? Well, then you have to create an environment where people can actually surface stuff up that's really important to them, but in a way that offers permission for them to do it. Yeah. And so then we, if you could do that and the way you could then use the techno, use technology to do that, then you could essentially bring up people's well-being. They can help um, helping them help themselves. And then eventually that could lead to um, a, a workplace that recognizes and facilitates higher well-being, which eventually would lead to higher performance. And if you mm -hmm. can combine that with all the other things I said previously around agile, psychological safety and so on, and you embed all those things together, you may have half a chance. So we've talked, um, using the phrase meaningful connection a lot. Um, how do you define that and, and what do you do to, to create that? And I know we've talked, that is what we're talking about, but um, let, let's yeah. really focus on meaningful uh, connection. Well, I mean, every, there are different interpretations. Um, and some people don't even like the word connection used in this way, meaningful connections, they say meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. a, a, lar a large part of what I do is to actually get people to learn about each other and communicate in a way with each other that reveals, and not, you know, it's, it's not necessarily by design, it's more emergent, but create the conditions where you can be vulnerable in the workplace in a way that people can see those vulnerabilities and they don't exploit them. And then what happens is something quite magical emerges. Trust increases and then people start to take risks on themselves in front of the community. And yeah. what happens is that that creates meaningful connection in so many different emergent ways. But essentially what it does is it, it elevates the entire team, department, and the wider business to operate in a really authentic way. And if you can do that, you'll find that their teams will push harder. They will go further because they're really willing to take a risk on each other. Mm -hmm. And when I facilitated that, I've seen teams do things that blew my mind. Like... You know, they'll be there at, uh, they'll, they'll go 48 hours in the office to solve a problem. And I was there, I actually spent a week in a workshop. I said it was a week workshop, but a really hard problem where when you convert one currency to another, it was in Investor Bank, you get a rounding issue. It's a natural thing. It's like 0, 0, 0, 0.1. And it, mm. we needed to solve this problem to build this platform business. And the, yeah. the teams literally just got in there. They got pizzas. They got, you know, you name it. They got pizzas, they got beer, they got Cokes, they got everything. And they just literally locked themselves in. And they mm -hmm. went through absolute hell together. But when they came out, I've never seen a team that tight. Yeah. It's such a tight-knit team. And I think forevermore, those relationships, that the type of environments where you come out of, and people say, where's the best place you ever worked? It's those sorts of places that go very deep with people because they could be yeah. themselves mm. Mm. and they never forget it. And I, I, it's such a privilege to be part of anything like that. Um, you know, I just, feel, I feel myself welling up just thinking about it. 
Mm. Um, but you have to, you need people, really talented people, who understand about these things and they don't try and projectize it. It's like, it's not a project. You don't go in and run a workshop on psychological safety and you get it. No, it's, it's, it's a daily slog. But if you hold it for long enough, you can do some really great work. And earlier on in the interview, you talked about um, one of the, um, I don't know if you'd call it a tool or a strategy or a process. Um, you talked about reflective practice. Tell us more about that. I mean, with Scrum, I mean, they have, you know, it, it, with Scrum in particular, every, at the end of every two-week uh, time box, you know, they'll have, they'll have some reflective practice. They'll go in and um, there are many tools and techniques that are available for reflective practice. And um, in fact, I mean, some people have made entire careers out of it. Um, they call them retrospectives. And um, I think they're so wonderful because they are a, they are a really excellent opportunity to be able to say, you know, let's, let's look over the last two weeks or whatever time box you choose. You know, what's the good, the bad and the ugly? Um, what did we do well? What did we not do so well, etc.? Or the, there are so many different constructs you can use, you know, start doing, stop doing, continue to do. But essentially, they offer the opportunity for people to open up. Um, some, some are more to do with soft skill, you know, uh, the, the softer part of the teams, and some of it can be quite hard, you know, around delivery. But essentially, mm-hmm. you're providing an air gap to, for continuous improvement. And so many teams um, do it now. Some do it well. Some do it terribly. They just turn up. They go through a construct, put post-its notes up, and they do some dot voting about actions at the end of it, and then they basically they essentially take those actions into the, the the next sprint. And so the whole idea is you are continuous improving. Some some organisations take it very seriously, and others don't. Um, I personally take it very seriously because I think without it, I'm not entirely sure you can optimise or improve. Or um, I mean, worst case, you're doing intervention work, right? There's, mm-hmm team dynamic issue, there's a conflict in the room, they all, they're all opportunities for you to facilitate that so the team can get into a really, well, I say a hyper-performing state. Um, I think they're very worthwhile regardless of your process or methodology or framework, to be honest. I would encourage any organisation or any team to do them. Mm-hmm. So we're just going into the last few minutes of, of the show what other recommendations have you got for our listeners about how to create that meaningful connection in the organization whether they be hybrid or, or not what, what what sort of next steps after listening to, to you today do you think people should take well I think the first thing you should focus on is um, and you could be quite clever about it as I think you know the first thing you can do for any team or department or organization is to focus on focus on safety as a baseline um, and you can do that in many different ways, but um, I think that the masterstroke for practitioners is if you can make the the environment safe for yourself, then you're half, you know, you you've managed to you've managed to give yourself enough of an opportunity to then extend that out to everybody else in your team, department, and wider organisation. If you can't make yourself safe within the environment, you've got no chance. So I think mm-hmm. start there, and then after you've managed to um, do that, is then to demonstrate vulnerability as quickly as possible and demonstrate a bit of leadership around that so then people can see that you're vulnerable 
And then, um, then of course, you'll have to be very, very careful about what, <laughs> to spot if anyone will exploit that or not, but that's a totally different uh, uh, challenge. And then once you've done that, that will have a trickle, a trickle not trickle down, but that will have a, a, a sort of a viral effect. And then hopefully that will start the process. Um, obviously, you need a good process, you need a good purpose, hopefully a good product. And obviously, then you focus on the people. But yeah, I'd suggest focusing on the four Ps, um, as I've just mentioned, and, and continuously optimize those to get you you and your team into a hyper-performing state, or your teams, sorry. Lovely. And, and do you think it's useful for people to, to get more familiar with, with where um, some of this comes from in terms of the sort of agile methodologies and all that, all that sort of stuff, or, or is, is that too too sort of detailed? I mean, obviously, as you said, you over years of uh, research and uh, experience is, is where you've come up with that from but um are those things useful to people or, or should we leave them in the tech world <laughs> no not at all uh, absolutely not um I, I i think combining um well-being engagement and agile uh, together is a very good combination um mm -hmm. and whether you whether you're in technology or not in technology i highly recommend that you look at both together and by doing that you can get the agility you can get the high performance you can get a healthy uh, organization and you can get meaningful connection and healthy teams mm -hmm. and healthy individuals mm -hmm. I, I, if anyone anyone wants any advice or um, recommendations please reach out to me because I, I love talking about this stuff thank you thank you um, so much for your time today it's been really interesting talking to you Alex um, and uh, yeah have a good evening thank you very much thank you and just to let you know, next week, Joe Moffat's back, and she's talking about the importance of telling with Sam Blizzard, who's a communications leader and podcaster. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.